As the housing crisis continues to ravage communities across the nation, the need for affordable housing has never been greater. The U.S. has a shortage of 7 million rental homes affordable and available to low-income renters. But what exactly is affordable housing and how can we, as impact investors, make a difference in our communities? We'll be diving into the world of affordable housing development and exploring the ins and outs of this critical field. From understanding the risks and red tape to discovering the impact this kind of investing can have on individuals and communities. Evan Holliday, today's guest, is a real estate developer and investor with an impressive track record of over $473 million and 2,276 units of multifamily real estate developed and invested. Evan has dedicated his career to building sustainable and affordable housing for communities in need. And today, he'll be sharing his expertise and insights with us. Evan, what is affordable housing and why is that different from like traditional investing? Affordable housing is quality housing that families can actually afford to pay without paying more than 30% of their monthly income on rent or their mortgage. Uh, so that can be for rent, that can be for sale, but it really just, it, it can't be a burden to pay their rent every month. Uh, and of course, you're you're seeing that burden being carried out by a lot of families across the country right now. Uh, but that's the main difference is there's many different ways to finance it and structure it. But um, I'd say in a nutshell, that's that's really what affordable housing is all about. I love that. And I know one big um, kind of like testament or pillar for you guys is impact uh, driven investing. Can you expand on what that is? Um, I know that's something that we want to like make that more of a focus moving forward in the future. But a lot of people kind of, I think, forget that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so impact investing is really taking a holistic approach to to how you're investing and saying, hey, it's not just about the bottom line. It's not just about the returns or the dollars. It is about that, but it's also about the return on um, the return on the local community. It's the return on the environment. It's the return on the uh, the impact that you will have on the residents of your communities. And so, I think really any anybody, any operator, any developer, any owner of real estate can be an impact investor. Um, it, you know, I spoke to a group one time and. And we we're talking about like creative ways that really any industry, even not even multifamily, like any industry within real estate can be impact driven. You know, an, an example would be like if you're doing self-storage, you could put solar panels on your self-storage and it would also, you know, lower your operating expenses and be able to be, you know, have an impact on the environment. So we all have the choice to do that. I think it's just being intentional about that and saying, hey, how can I make this a win-win for myself, our our team, the environment, uh, our investors, and our community and our residents who we're serving. That is awesome. And I want to dive into like some other uh, aspects of what you do. But first, let's back it up a little bit. How did you get into real estate uh, investing in general? I think you have such a like, interesting origin story. Yeah, um, yeah. I got started when I was in college. You know, I thought I was going the pre med route, and realized very quickly that was not for me. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and realized I saw a student housing development going in on campus. And I was like, man, that that's calling my name. Uh, and so I figured out a way to get introduced to the developer and was able to impress him enough where, you know, I was the first one he hired there and really got to see it come out of the ground. Uh, I was 380 bed, $55 million development and learned so much by working for that developer. You know, I was like 19 at the time. And, but I said, I want to figure out everything I can. I want to learn. I want to soak it up. I was just like a sponge. And uh, that was the best experience I could have had because that, that showed me, I was like, yep, I want to be a developer. This is my calling. This is what I want to do. 
But then I really realized I was like, it's fun to build stuff and and really like change communities. But I wanted to do it with more than just building, you know, $3,000 a month student housing. I wanted to have some impact where I could help families that maybe didn't have an opportunity to have quality housing because they couldn't afford it, uh, even though they they deserve it. Uh, and so I volunteered for a nonprofit called Family Scholar House. And that really opened my eyes. I was like, whoa, you can actually like be a developer and have some impact and do some good all at the same time. And uh, and really that snowballed into figuring out, okay, affordable housing, you can use creative financing, you can do public-private partnerships, you can partner with the government and make affordable housing possible and financially feasible for yourself and your investors and while ha- actually helping families so they're not you know, spending 80% of their monthly paycheck on rent. Yeah, I love that. And I know you had a mentor when you first like got into your development uh, education. And I think in the past, I remember you comparing it to like the Karate Kid montage where maybe you were learning certain things that um, like you didn't necessarily see how those were going to be directly applicable to your own investing career. I mean, I think I know Kenny and I can like relate to that. There's sometimes where we're doing something and we don't necessarily understand like how this is going to help us in the long run, but we know it will. And that could be from underwriting that dozens of deals like, yes, it doesn't feel like it's that helpful because you don't have an immediate ROI on it since you're not closing deals. Like, you know, the, the ratio is, is pretty high. Um, so I would love to know, like, what, what, what grunt work did you have to put in into de- learning that development skill from your mentor? Yeah, I mean, I've had many mentors along my path. I think I think um, that's important, too, is not just having one mentor, but multiple um, and different perspectives, too, because it's it's about gaining different perspectives. And then you're piecing together, you know, what you're learning from each one and what you believe in and your values and your principles and taking that from each of your mentors and creating your own values and principles. Um, And so really, I think along the way I learned hard work pays off. Um, but you have to be, you have to be motivated by something bigger than yourself. Uh, and so me, my why is, you know, my parents instilled in me, uh, the idea that, you know, I can help others and I should love others and I should support others. And so that drove me to say, Hey, well, how can I like do something fun and do something that I love like development and build stuff and own stuff and combine that with helping people, uh, and then that's where the the passion for affordable housing came about. Uh, so I think first off, you have to have the passion. You have to have the why behind anything you're doing or else it's just you're you're going to burn out. Uh, and then I think really realizing early on that hard work, even like you're describing, like when you don't feel like it, it's going to pay off in the short term, getting in the reps on learning your craft um, every aspect of your craft is so, so important. So we have uh, development analysts on our team and, you know, they're, they're new to the industry or coming into the industry of affordable and development and real estate. And I always tell them, I said, you guys should be like a sponge. Every, every person in our office, every partner we talk to, you guys should ask them like a million questions, ask them how they do their job, ask them, you know, how, how, do they efficiently get stuff done? What is important to them? What's not important to them? And just say, hey, um, tell me answers as if I'm five years old. Describe this to me as if I'm five years old. And that, because that's what I did when I got started. I was 23 when I started working for a development company right out of college. And and I, my mentor told me that. He's like, hey, just ask everybody 
like literally as many questions as you can soak up as much as you can and be of value to everybody along the way uh, and do everything you can with a smile on your face and optimistic and 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 have that perspective of hey i'm i'm a fun person to work with and people want to work with me and i'm willing to do whatever it takes and i'm willing to put in long hours if that's what it takes um you know i'm willing to have tough and crucial conversations um i'm willing to be creative i'm willing to think outside the box and so knowing that and and going back to the reps thing i think that's so important is like especially underwriting like our analysts, I tell them, I was like, you will never get good at the performa unless you underwrite like a thousand deals. Yeah. And now like I'm at the point where I've, I've, I've put in that work. And so now I, I can like almost do, you know, quick math in my head on a deal before even lo- looking at a performa, but that doesn't come naturally. Like, that's not like something I was born with. That's yeah. something that's yeah. a muscle I had to work on, you know, over the last 10 plus years. So I just, I try to instill that building muscles, you know, and also muscles get rusty, you know, your muscles get smaller if you don't constantly work on them too. So um, I think just all of that combined and just having a long-term perspective backed by your big why. That's awesome. No, that was great. And I I think you, you touched on a really good point there when you said you have different mentors along the way which is obviously good, you know, for anyone listening out there, it's always good to have a mentor because they can kind of shorten your learning curve. I mean, that's, if you study any successful person, they'll, they'll tell you that. Right. But you said different mentors along the way where you can piece together different things that you like about them and learn different things. And ultimately, because at the end of the day, like this is your career, this is your uh, life, your, you know, that you're building your path. So building it as you like it, right. Because you might have a mentor that, uh, you know, maybe they're a little bit older, they learned, you know, in their time, different ways of doing things. And now, you know, you might have a, a little bit younger of a mentor or, or just a mentor that might not have been doing it as long, but maybe they imp- implement, you know, newer things like technology within their business or or other things like that. Um, but ultimately, like you said, just piecing together, learning from every person you come across and just gaining the opportunity to really just soak up that knowledge from people that have just done it a lot longer than you. That's like a, a hack. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it's clear like that has led you to where you are now with your focus on affordable housing. Um, I do want to get into that. First and foremost, I'm going to put Kenny in the hot seat real quick. Kenny, what what do you know about, just in general, because he's on the underwriting acquisition side. So like, I'm just curious, what do you know about uh, affordable housing and that way we can come from? Yeah, great. Um, well, I mean, obviously, one, I mean, there's been discussions about need for affordable housing. We're, you know, apparent that the housing market has just gotten to a point where, especially now with higher interest rates, that a lot of people cannot afford to either buy and then rents are getting, you know, in the last two years, they've just increased significantly where people are starting to un- unfortunately not be able to afford rents. So it's definitely been a, a problem, um, a progressing problem, which is great that you're in that industry. You know, it's something that, um, you know, demand has definitely increased. But really what we look at for is very much so value add. It's not necessarily like um, capped kind of rent areas or rental properties, basically like light tech deals or any uh, affordable housing, so to say, like deals. So would yeah. love to learn more. Exactly. About what- so to kind of like pivot, what are some misconceptions people get uh, have about affordable housing? Let's start there. Yeah, great question. And, and Kenny, I liked your uh, description there. Uh, so <clears throat> really affordable housing and, and what you're saying, there are forms of, there's many forms of affordable housing. Uh, and so one of the forms is naturally occurring affordable housing. That's older housing stock that 
you know, it's just, it's naturally affordable because there's other better, newer properties that are causing their rents to be kind of naturally capped by the market. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there's also workforce housing where, you know, it's like existing deals. It's, you know, you're doing value add work, but you're still providing a workforce attainably priced rent compared to other options that are in the market. Uh, and so there's many different ways to do it. Um, but really misconceptions, I would say, uh, some of the biggest ones, and we, I, I was actually just filming a TikTok yesterday for this exact topic. Uh, and so one of the biggest ones that stands out to me is uh, it will lower the, um, it will lower the home values in the surrounding area. Uh, there's actually studies that have been done that show that when affordable housing comes in, home values will actually increase quality affordable housing, um, I should say. And really everything today that is being built that is affordable um, is quality, well done housing, because there's been there's honestly been poorly done affordable housing in the past. That's what everybody thinks of. That's the misnomer. That's the misconception is everybody thinks of public housing. They think of the projects. They think of the 1960s style like barracks buildings um, like Cabrini Green in Chicago. Like that's what people yeah. think of. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that that's how they did affordable housing in the 60s. And that was they learned that was a terrible idea um, to be able to, you know, to concentrate poverty and also put it in super density and not have any supportive services or empowerment or, or help or community around that. Uh, and so we've since learned as an affordable community that that doesn't work. And so today you look you you will drive by an affordable community and a market rate even a luxury community side by side, and you will not be able to tell the difference today. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's the amazing thing about what we do is you walk into our communities, they have granite countertops, we have, you know, 1200 square foot units, we have stainless steel appliances, you know, we got nice flooring, we got porches, we got, you know, a clubhouse, we got pools, like it, it looks like a brand new market rate community. Yeah. I think some of the things we may not have is like the super, super class A++ amenities, um, like the waterfall pools or something like that. But yeah. above and beyond that, like we look like luxury housing. And I think that's what's really empowering for our residents is they actually feel empowered and, and they feel um, they feel proud to live in affordable housing and call that place home. And so I think, you know, that's it brings more crime. That's another one that there's no statistics out there that show that new affordable housing actually brings more crime to an area. Um, the values, like I talked about, and really just the misnomer of what is affordable housing. People always assume it's that public housing when really, in fact, that's that's the affordable housing of like 60 years ago um, that we're, as a community, as cities across the country, we're phasing that out. We're tearing that down and we're building new saying, hey, that was not done well. Let's look at how to do it better now. That's amazing. I love that. I think that's, that's important because even we, I think, used to think that was what affordable housing was before we really started getting into real estate and learning and getting exposed to like the different uh, reality, the reality of what it is today. Um, and so I think I'm, I'm sure there's someone in the audience wondering like, okay, if you're making really nice properties that are comparable to like the, the newer con construction projects that people are working on and getting premium rents, how are you being, how are you profitable if you're, if you're like, affordable housing? And you're uh, kind of capped on how much you could actually charge in rent. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, so it's interesting. I think 
I mean, first off, you have to be, if you want to do affordable housing, you have to be really passionate about it because it's, there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of government work. There's, you're, you're basically partnering with the government to help provide a public good, right? You're building something for the greater good of the community, which is affordably priced housing. And so really how we're able to make a return for our investors is really about the fact that the government helps by covering up to 40% of the cost of construction uh, with tax credits. So that's how we finance the majority of our development is 40% is tax credits. We take those tax credits once we're awarded from the state, then we sell those credits to an investor, typically a bank, and then they give us cash in return. So we get 40%, basically 40% equity. That's how we get our equity uh, is by selling the credits in return, we get the equity. And so we have equity partners that cover basically 40% of the cost. Then we have 10% that we get in grants or tax abatements, basically local or state funding to help fill the gap. And then the last 50% is uh, just from a, a typical real estate loan. Um, and so it's not your typical uh, financing capital you know, structure, but that's how we're able to, with the tax credits, it's almost like cutting 40% of your costs uh, off the deal. And so we're ba basically building the same building, the same costs, but we're building it at 60 cents on the dollar, which allows us to lower the rents, cap the rents, uh, and make sure they, they only increase based on the average income growth for that area. Um, and so, you know, typically, like I think Nashville, where we're based, incomes, or sorry, rents in Nashville year over year from 2021 to 2022, I think it was like 25% increase or something crazy like that. Um, and our rents were capped at about 10%. Uh, and 10% is extremely high. Usually it's like two to 3%. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting that really that's how it is made possible is we have uh, the tax credits, the grants, the soft funds, um, the gap filling funds that really help make it possible. It lowers our basis. So that way we can offer rents that are attainable for families really making like 35,000 to 75,000 a year. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, and obviously you packed a lot in there, um, which is very interesting thing, you know, I mean, development in itself, I do find development very interesting and, you know, further off in my career, that's something that I love to do, but I never really thought about affordable housing development and, and how, you're actually partnering with the government. So it's like almost like you're mitigating your risk in a sense because, you know, the governments are kind of tied to this factor well, yeah. because they benefit, the community benefit, everyone benefits, you know? To build off of that though, if you can expand, like what are the risks associated with affordable housing? Yeah, good question. Um, and it does, uh, like Kenny, like you're saying, uh, it actually does help mitigate our risk by having, you know, basically getting government-backed funding um, but there are still a lot of risks, just development in general. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're building something out of nothing. You have, you have, you have a million different surprises that will inevitably come up on every project because you're building literally, you know, you're tearing up the ground. You sometimes you don't know what's underneath the ground until you fully tear it up. Like we test, but you can only test so much. Um, and so there's surprises laying around, around every corner, um, construction costs continuing to rise like like we've never seen before. Uh, they're starting to taper out now. Um, but really, I mean, all that rent growth that I just talked about, that was completely eaten up by our construction costs. Um, and so, 
you know, you have all these variables constantly running at you, financing variables. Like we, it takes us two to three years to get a deal closed from like, like deals that we're signing up today. We won't close and start construction until 2025. So we're looking that far out. Um, and that's to start construction. And then it takes two years to build it. And then it takes another year to lease it up. So we look oh, nice. in five-year timeframes yeah, just to yeah. get a project off the ground. And then we'll own it for the next 15 to 30 years after that. Really, our our game plan and our business model is about long-term ownership of affordable and mixed income communities. We do some market rate development as well, but we're building those typically to sell unless they're in a in a, in a, in a prime location. Um, so really our, ours, our game plan is long-term hold. So we build to build for long-term hold. So we build much higher quality, you know, we build with better materials. Um, but really we do that because we believe in affordable housing. And also once, once we build it, then we can continue affordability. You can take it back into the program after year 15 do, and basically use tax credits to re rehab the property. Um, but going back to your question about what are the risks? The biggest risks are it's a long time frame, and there's a million different variables that can come up in that time frame. And that's that's real that's development in general. But within affordable, there's also the risk that you don't get the government financing that you need for the project. Uh, and so there's a limited supply of funding, and you have many developers trying to compete for that same funding. Uh, and so they're trying to, you know, they're always trying to increase that funding, but you know, it's like moving a mountain, trying to get the federal government or even the state or local governments to increase their budget for affordable housing. Uh, and so that's that's some of the the variables that we have to face. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. And I know we touched on how like people used to kind of perceive affordable housing and still do in, in one way. But I know in the previous interview, you've talked about how like community sentiment towards affordable housing is starting to shift. Can you touch on how that's changing? Yeah. Um yeah, it's been interesting. I think, you know, I've been in affordable for I think like 12, 12-ish years now. And um it it really has changed. I mean, when I first got into the industry, nobody knew what affordable housing was. Nobody cared. Um, people were just like, Oh, you're bringing the ghetto to our backyard, like, no thanks. <laughs> and we had to educate. It was constant education. Like a big part of my job, especially in new markets, is educating people on the fact that we're building quality, we're building for people that are already in your community, we're building for people making thirty-five dollars to $75,000 a year, and we're building for, for families that are, that are working, that you see, you know, they may be in your family. Uh, and so educating was a huge part of my job. It still is. That's why we get on podcasts like this. That's why we do TikTok. That's why we are on social media and, and just trying to help educate communities across the country of what affordable housing really is. Um, but now today we've, we've definitely seen within the last like 12 months, really since the pandemic, the pandemic just massively exacerbated the problem. There was already like 7.4 million homes that were needed for affordable housing before the pandemic. I, I don't think they've done a study since, but they really need to, because I'm sure that number is massively higher. And the pandemic just kind of poured gasoline on the problem and uh, and so now we're hearing communities saying, hey, like, hey, over here, like we want more affordable housing, like we'll do whatever it takes for affordable housing. And then they're actually like starting to push back on market rate developers and say, hey, why don't you have any affordable housing in your development? 
And so it's so interesting to me because it came from like, it was like a complete 180. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm like, well, shoot, we've been here the whole time. Like we've been talking affordable housing for 12 years. Uh, and now it's become a hot topic and everybody wants to, you know, invest in it and be a part of it, uh, which I think is great, but it's really just getting communities on board because they're really the gatekeepers for new development, um, the community leaders and the uh, and the local governments. Yeah. And I think that that kind of leads into like my next question. You touched you touched on that you're, you're moving into new markets. Um, how does that work? I'm sure that's much different when it comes to like affordable housing instead of like a, an average investor. So what what markets like are you pursuing and what are some challenges that you face when you move into a new market? Yeah, so we're currently working on uh, projects in South Carolina and Texas, which are outside of our um, our normal footprint, our current footprint of uh, really surrounding Nashville metro. Uh, and so really, we've seen opportunities really across the southeast. I mean, like we were talking, uh, talking about earlier, affordable housing is needed everywhere literally the entire world. So yeah. um, I think what what we've had to do is kind of put our blinders on and say, hey, let's focus on where our energy is best spent. There's an opportunity cost to our time. You know, we could work on 20 different deals, but get none of them done if we're not focused on five or 10 of them. Uh, and so, <clears throat> so we're looking at key strategic areas where we have relationships where the cities and the states really support affordable housing. They put their money where their mouth is. Um, they put financing forward for developers like us to be able to pay for the affordable development. Uh, and and they're already you know somewhat educated on the benefits and the needs in their community for affordable housing. And so those are the cities and the communities and the states that we specifically look for. Uh, and so, you know, South Carolina has like a state tax credit. So you get a federal credit and a state tax credit. So they have their own funding tool. Uh, and so that's really enticing for development because we're always looking at new ways that we can creatively finance these projects and to provide affordable housing and offset construction costs all at the same time. Uh, and so that's that's intriguing to us. And then also really the whole south of the U.S. is going through massive growth both income growth and job growth and population growth. And so we also look for markets where there's there's a rise in all of that, uh, specifically wage growth, because that's that's ultimately how our rents grow. Um, and so I've I've done a few developments in Louisiana, um, which is, you know, is great to work there. Amazing people in Louisiana. I love working in Louisiana. The only problem with Louisiana is they don't have any income growth. And so our our rents, even if market rate can continue to go up, our rents will actually stay flat. Mm -hmm. And so it's discouraged us from looking at Louisiana, unfortunately. And they're also, you know, facing flood uh, insurance issues as well. Uh, and so looking at things like that, like Florida is going through massive flood insurance issues right now. Um, and so that's, you know, been a, things like that have been a determinant for us to be like, hey, maybe it doesn't make sense. Like, we'll wait until that flood insurance thing gets figured out before we enter a new market like that yeah that's fascinating i, I just want to we're coming sorry we're coming up to our speed round really soon but there's so many questions i want to get to mm -hmm. um, first off i know that you do some special programs like at, at your properties um, to really empower the people that live there and i think that's so awesome and unique so if you could briefly just like touch on what you're doing there not just to provide housing but to like really make an impact yeah, most definitely. So, uh, so we partner with multiple different nonprofits. Um, you know, they they teach uh, and give education for 
um, for new jobs that are higher paying jobs, like even like in the tech industry, uh, we work with groups that also help educate on literacy uh, for children in the community. They basically, they, you know, they teach them through creating YouTube videos and that helps them with literacy. Uh, we have uh, all different types of programs. And really what our goal is to say, how can we help give our residents the community, the tools, the support, uh, and the mentorship and the and the coaching <clears throat> ultimately to be able to make their way out of affordable housing and, and maybe even find their own place and, and be able to, you know, buy their own home one day. Uh, and so really that's part of our goal is is figuring out ultimately how we help our families um, you know, get a leg up in life. And and so we're also we do mainly rental um uh new development for rent affordable housing, but we're also doing, we're starting to do uh, for sale affordable housing, workforce housing, basically for families at 80% of area median income, we're offering a first time home buyer house that they can buy. And so ideally, like we're trying to create that bridge of saying, hey, you can live in our for rent community. And then, and then once you're ready, and and once you've built up a, you know, a down payment, or you've, we can help them find the financing they need as well. Uh, we have nonprofit partners that that literally can help them get down payment assistance, you know, lower mortgage rates, um, you know, all these different tools to help say, hey, look, we we want to help you get into a house, and we want to give you the tools and the knowledge to be able to do that. Uh, and so that's that's a big part of our goal. Awesome, thank you so much. It is time for our speed round. Evan, are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. Well, for the first question, uh, if you don't mind sharing what your biggest uh, failure we like to call them lessons has that has been or that you've learned from in your career in affordable housing? Ah, that's a good question. Um, I think I've had many failures along the way. Uh, I think they're all amazing learning lessons. I think for me, uh, the biggest thing was uh, just believing in myself sooner. I think I, it took me time to get the momentum. I mean, I always believed in myself. I'm, I'm hugely confident in myself, but I think uh, we as entrepreneurs and, and, and leaders and, you know, go getters in a sense, like people like, like you two that are going out making stuff happen. um, I think sometimes we, we need to see it be done by somebody else, or we need to see a prototype before we say, Hey, I could do that too. Uh, And so really, in reality, you know, there's so many different things I could have done sooner, but I'm ultimately glad the way things happen because I learned so much along the way. But I think just believing in myself sooner, uh, and I think that's a great lesson for anybody is like, you have what it takes. You have the tools, the mindset, the 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 attitude that you need. So just make it happen and, and put in put in the work and go get it. That's awesome. Awesome. And so this next question I normally would ask is uh, what is your goal for your business and your uh, vision for it moving forward? But I do want to kind of twist it a little bit. And maybe if you can address what your perspective is on the future of the housing crisis in the, in, in the world or in the country um, moving forward. And like, what hope do you have for if, if you think we can remedy it, re, uh, like fix it, or is it kind of just going to continue to get worse? Yeah. Uh, so I'll answer that one first. So, uh, I think the housing crisis is only going to get worse before it ever gets better. Um, but I do think, I think inevitably, I think with all the pain that the pandemic has caused on the housing market and the housing crisis, 
I think inevitably that would be a good thing uh, because it, it it has already been a good thing. It's brought way more attention to affordable housing, to quality housing, to more housing, and how that's such an issue. You know, states across the country literally give out billions of dollars of economic incentive for jobs, but they don't give out nearly as much incentive for housing. Uh, and so I think now we'll be on the same playing field. Like people are going to say, hey, we need to incentivize housing, just like we incentivize jobs, because without the housing, you're not going to fill the jobs. Uh, they're they're so correlated. Uh, and so I think it's finally getting the respect that it deserves. And But I think it still takes time for governments to react, to leaders to react, to you know whole economies to react to something like this. It doesn't happen overnight. But I think also in the future for both holiday ventures and for the industry, I think we're going to have to get way more creative about how we solve affordable housing and the housing crisis. So that means, you know, different building techniques. That means, you know, different ways to expedite the, the permitting and the approval process, different ways to creatively finance. That means partnering with private corporations uh, we just did a deal with Amazon. They invested $32 million into one of our deals. Uh, and so that's part of their $2 billion commitment to affordable housing. So, you know, companies like Amazon are stepping up, um, but we need to see a lot more of that. You know, $2 billion doesn't really go that far across the entire country. Uh, and so we need way more of that. Uh, and so I think for us, we're actively trying to be a leader. Our goal is to be the leader in affordable housing, both for innovative, uh, creative, sustainable, and also impactful for our residents, for our investors, for the community. Like we want to make lasting, meaningful change. And so our BHAG, our big, hairy, audacious goal in the next 20 years is to create or preserve 100,000 units of affordable or workforce housing. That's awesome. That's awesome. And just to kind of touch on that, not, not to like be long-winded, but it's so cool that because affordable, obviously development is one thing, but the affordability factor makes people have to think about different engineering and architecture and like different ways of just lowering costs so that they can continue to be affordable, which is it's so cool. It obviously brings a lot of heads together and, and just, I think, moves the industry of development forward, which is which is awesome. Um, so I guess for our third question, what is your favorite book? And it can be a personal and a business book or just one, um, that's kind of helped you in your life and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, so many books, um, to pick, I would say, and I think I see it on your wall there. I would say principles, uh, by Ray Dalio. Uh, that's been one of my favorites just because he just lays it out so well of, you know, literally. I don't know, hundreds of principles that he lives by, his company lives by, and it helped me get clear on my principles and then also helped me, you know, it, honestly, I've, I consider that book, it's it's kind of like a mentor, you know, it's yeah. it's guiding you to your own values and your own principles. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And so you shared a ton of wisdom today. We really appreciate it. Um, I would love to know, like, is there one piece of advice you'd give to someone and you'd have them walk away with from this episode and maybe if you want it to be towards someone who wants to get into affordable housing uh, on the investment side yeah great question uh i would say i would say learn from the best reach out as soon as possible don't be afraid to reach out um people are willing and able and want to help you if you're willing to learn and put in the work 
uh, and find mentors, find multiple mentors like we talked about. And, um, and also like we talked about, put in the work, like work on your muscle, work on your muscle of finding deals, work on your muscle of underwriting deals, work on your muscle of, you know, being creative in your financing. I think that's one of the most fun parts about affordable housing is that we, you know, it's, it's totally unlike any capital stack. So we have to be creative in our financing. Uh, and so I would say it's a lot of work. It's a lot of pain. It's a lot of struggle, but it's worth every second of it. Uh, if you are willing to put in the work. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Evan. It was a blast chatting with you. If anyone in our audience wants to learn more about you or just follow you on your journey, where can they go to do that? Yeah, well, first off, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, You guys are crushing it and I love to see it. And uh, yeah, they can follow or connect with us on Instagram, Evan Holiday, H-O-L-L-A-D-A-Y. Also on TikTok, uh, we've been pushing on TikTok lately. And um, and then, of course, our website, HolidayVentures.com. Perfect. Well, thanks again for being here. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in today to The Real Estate Monopoly. Kenny, where can they find out more about us? You guys can find us on Instagram, pretty much every platform, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, YouTube, at Donis Brothers. Uh, so that's D-O-N-I-S Brothers. And yeah, yeah we look guys. forward to uh, you know sharing more content with you guys. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Let's get out there and take action.